It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Authentic Messengers. My name is Catherine Van Wetter and I will be your host today. Every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, I will be interviewing different authors from our new book, Life Sparks. All of these interviews will be archived, so if you miss one, you can go to www.blogtalk forward slash authenticmessengers.com. Please also go to our Facebook page, Authentic Messengers, and leave a comment, a thumbs up, whatever you would like. We would love to hear from you. So thank you so much for joining me today. And today I'm so excited. From the UK, I have a very special guest, Susie Briscoe. Susie is the founding chair, international business, executive coach, mentor, and master leadership with Legacy Mentor. Her quote is, helping professionals and business leaders find rainbows within their lives. Susie runs her international business while remaining active on several charity boards in the UK, her home country. Truly nothing is more pleasing to her than to hear the delight in clients' voices as they too discover and believe in their own skills and passions. Good evening to you, Susie, and thank you for being with us at the wee hours of the night. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely my pleasure. It's lovely to to be with you and to meet your listeners. Hello. Hello, and I can tell by your voice that you do have so much delight in your voice. So please tell us a little bit about how it is that you got involved in your international coaching, mentoring, master leadership, um, program, and then we'll move on to other questions. I'm excited. Okay. Well, it started when I was I was doing a recce for I'd set up a charity with a with a girlfriend, and we had gone out to India to see how the money was being spent and what we felt we could do with it. So when I came back to the UK, this is a bit long winded, maybe, but I was on the on the wrong time clock. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed because it was like breakfast in in India. And um, my husband had been watching something on television that was a bit intellectual. And I came down, made myself a mug of tea, and the cat said hello and wanted to sit on my lap and, you know, general things. And I put the television on, and I got Open University well, that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for something really trashy to watch. And suddenly, <laughs> I'm hooked up into this program. And the woman speaking was a consult, a clinical, no, let me get it right. She was a chartered psychiatrist. And she was just amazing. And I got hooked into four hours of watching her. And by the morning, I bought all the books that I could get off the BBC te- television site. And I, I was just really impressed. And I found out how to get in touch with her. And we were in touch with each other by 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was, wow. I was saying to my daughter, you know, I think I took the wrong course. I should have been doing what she's doing, watching her. She was just remarkable how she made a difference in people's lives. And then I got the email from her. Well, she said, why don't you do it? Well, you know, a little bit late, darling, but thank you very much. (laughs) And um, she sent me the link for a coaching college course. So, you know, that's how I got started into coaching. And I'm very grateful that that was my my introduction. Uh, And the where I trained, it was just right for me. Um, And... Then I realized when I was working with clients that I was bringing them always round to how they could contribute from the work that they were doing. It always came back to contributing. And I was fortunate enough 
to be headhunted by Nightingale Conant and then by Brian wow. Tracy, which is wow. That's exactly wow. Um, I, I got international clients on the strength of that. So a long-winded answer, but, you know, that, that's it really. Wow. It reminds me in some ways, and please correct me and, and elaborate more with the work that Lynn Twist does with, with gathering money for doing work other in, in other countries, and I may be off the mark. Um, are you familiar with Lynn Twist's work? Not terribly, no, but I mean, I would like to know more. <laughs> She works a lot with with um, having money raised in order to go over to other countries that that need support in building building buildings or schools or waterways, and people aren't just donating the money; rather, they're knowing that they have an equal relationship with the folks who are so-called in need it's a it's more of a reciprocal sort of relationship and recognizing how important it is to be of service be it monetarily or otherwise so is this in part how you got interested in supporting charities as well because seeming like being a coach and doing your leadership how did you bridge between doing that and also supporting charities, et cetera? Well, the charity work came first. Um, I got married when I was 23, which these days is, is remarkably young. In my day, it was getting to be quite old. Um, and then I, 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 we had our baby when, um, a, what, about 18 months later. And we thought we wanted to have four children, but it just didn't turn out that way. And I kept on having miscarriages. And mm. I thought long and hard about that. And the, the gynecologist, my gyne guy, as I call him, he was absolutely <laughs> lovely. And he said, you know, you can't keep on doing this because it's very debilitating. And I thought, well, I'd met a girlfriend who was having the same problem. And she had introduced me to a charity who were specializing in um, infant mortalities and infant illnesses and pregnancy and prenatal things, stuff. That's the medical term, stuff. And um, and I, I thought, well, you know, I've got a choice here. I can either sort of just roll over and decide that's it, that's the end, or I can try and do something useful and raise some money to see whether anything can be done about it by getting the whole area researched. And then down the line, other people won't have to go through the same traumas. Uh, And that's Mm. how it really started. But I am very keen. Go on. Oh, I was just I was just going to comment that that as I was introducing you, part of the introduction was the voices the voices within oneself to discover and believe in their own skills and passions. And I was just touched by what you said in regards to how much grief or loss, and those are my words, that you may have experienced with having had so many miscarriages. How does one turn that around in order to do something in the world where they begin to overcome their pain and suffering and be of service to others. So, Yeah, but when you first start out on that, you don't think, you don't have the grand plan. You just, you're doing it. Um, yes, there is, of course, it's necessary to raise the funds because it needs researching into it. But there's also, mm-hmm. for me, it enabled me to channel my energies into something positive so that something good could come out of what was bad. Right. And, I, and I think that's an important lesson for life. I mean, it I is. love the way you guys say you, you're life serving you lemons, go make lemonade. Uh, and that's it's a similar thing, isn't it? You just make the best of what you've got. Mm-hmm. And that's what struck me as I, as I was listening, as I was listening to you speak and also how part of your introduction was. That you've that you've turned that in order to use your own skills and passions. So thank you for doing your deep work 
even though you may not have known where it would have led you. I, that is the truth, actually. It really is the truth, Catherine. And I don't think, I mean, everything that has happened to me in life, it hasn't, I mean, nobody's life is straightforward. I don't believe anybody gets through life without hiccups along the way. Um, but everything that happens, I, I honestly believe happens for a reason. And when I'm reflecting back on it, each part of my life's journey, even probably from the worst moments of it, have, they, that's where the, the deepest learning has come from. And that is, I feel, that's how I can be so supportive now to my clients. I mean, when you're going through things, you think, oh, gosh, I hate this. This isn't good. Let me, let me out of here. Stop the world. I want to get off kind of thing. But the reality <laughs> is that the lessons that we're learning, I didn't realize I was going to be able to make such use of them in my later life, working as a coach and helping other people. It, that's just the way it turned out. It was almost mm-hmm. as though everything is a preparation. You're, you're mm-hmm. being prepared for... Well, I was going to say death. destiny was the word that was coming to me, but that sounds a little far-fetched, perhaps. No, that's it. And it's curious. I don't know what it's like for you in the U.K., but here in the United States, we have so much about ageism. You know, we live in, for the most part, a very youth-oriented culture, yet the majority of people living here in the United States are baby boomers. And so it's it's yeah. an interesting parody to look at, on the one hand, being so youth-oriented, and then on the other hand, the recognition that we're all getting older and how do we still incorporate the, the youth vision and the youthfulness of body, mind, and spirit while also being able to really tap into the wisdom that can only be accrued through years of experience and going to the dark night of the soul. I think that's so true. And I think it's, it's not just going into that dark night, but it's learning mm-hmm. to find the way out to see that glimmer of light and to follow it through so that you do come through the other side. That's the trick. (laughs) That is the trick. And it seems like a lot of, at least from the experience that I have with the noticing and sometimes with the population that I work with, a lot of people have seemed to have lost their way and wondered if you would share your own experiences with, you know, how do you work with folks who may not feel that what they have to offer is valuable and how does doing service work such as through charities help people to move outside of their inner focusness into the wider vision of why we're really here? That is a really, really good question. And I was thinking as you were going through it, how I would answer. And I think the best way that I can possibly give you an answer on that is to say many years back I was the client was introduced to me through Nightingale Conant and I was speaking to their head office and I said I'm not very comfortable with working with this guy I feel as though I need to ask his mother's permission you know there's something not quite right here and Then it came out in the conversation that he was a little challenged. You know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the doctors would would agree with that diagnosis, you know. And I was on the point of saying, you know, if if I still feel like this the next time that we work together, I'm going to call a halt to it because I don't feel it's right for us to take his money. Mm -hmm. And that evening when I was dwelling on it, I was thinking, hang on, what am I actually saying here? And who is this about? And when I actually looked into it, it I was making it about me because I wanted to deliver at my highest level. And that's the work that I was used to doing with the kind of clients that I was getting, very high quality work with very high-flying individuals. 
top of their game individual. And this chap was so entirely different. And then I stopped and, and thought, well, you know, it's not about me feeling good about what I'm delivering. It's about him feeling good about what he's getting. And as soon as I took my own ego out of it, and it seems a funny way of expressing this because you wouldn't think that your ego could get in the way in that circumstance. <laughs> but as soon as I took my own ego out of that equation, I was able to serve him and he was taking from the session exactly what he wanted. So instead of me thinking that I needed to work... Susie? Susie, are you still there? I seem to have lost Susie. I still see that she's on on the line. So we'll just give her a few minutes. For those of you that have just started listening in, this is um, Catherine Van Wetter, and I'm interviewing Susie Briscoe, who is from the UK. It's 11 p.m. her time. And she was just getting into saying something really wonderful, and hopefully she'll be coming back soon. So we I'm will. I'm Catherine. There you are. <laughs> As I'm I, carrying I've on. I've been here the whole time. I was, oh, I, I was don't know funny. when you I wasn't able to hear you. So here we are. Isn't it amazing being worlds away from each other and connected by this little cell phone, at least on my end? So please continue yeah. with what you were saying. Well, I'm not sure how far you heard. What did you hear? Well, I heard when you get the ego out of the way. That yes. It, it, yes. It, it was, you see, as soon as my own ego was pushed out of the way, I was then able to actually deliver the highest quality that my client required. And that's really what it's all about. Wow. That, that was is the point I was making. And that is such a valuable point because how many times do we get driven by what we think we're going to be gaining from it, yet if we truly are doing our service, it's about what others will receive. And trusting that if we show up with the highest intention of who we are, everything unfolds in its divine way. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I wonder if that really answered your question, though, Catherine, Did, I couldn't think of a better way of answering it. It did answer it very well. Thank you. And I, you know, I think part of, and also to add more of, of what I had said, that the whole concept of getting older, which so many I know myself included never think it's going to happen to us. And then the next day, you know, you're in your, late 50s or 60s and it's like how did that happen and how can I still <laughs> recognize that there's so much life force left and that the world I'm needs seven, I'm going to be 70 next year Catherine and I oh I congratulations <laughs> but I can't believe how did it happen where did all the time go I to me in my head I'm still I don't know. I wouldn't go backwards, though. I'm grateful no. that I don't have to get through all of that angst again. Yes, I know. But it's, it's, and it's funny to look in the mirror and see a different vision than what you may see in the photograph. So thank you for being so candid and so open. Um, may, your I share, voice may I share so, a story with you? Yes, please do. I have. A, a girl, she was a neighbor. She was a darling, darling woman. And uh, she used to come down to, to she had the, the house opposite ours in a country lane. Um, and she just used to come down at weekends. And she would say, you know, I had no idea I was so old until I got my contact lenses. She said, God is, is so wise. Because when I first got up in the morning, I didn't have my glasses on. So I therefore didn't see all the wrinkles. <laughs> Oh, God. that's right. And then you see him and it's like, oh, my. So we earned every one yeah. of them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I wear them with pride. I love it. 
Oh, good. Well, thank you for giving women and folks permission to be in the glory of who they are. And I understand that 70 is the new 50 now. So you go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) It's gone. So what motivates you to... I'm sorry. Go on, you ask. Oh, I was going to say, what motivates you to choose the charities that you support? That it, I love that question because the first one was Action Medical Research and mm-hmm. they are the people who discovered the vaccine for rubella and it was the founder's daughter had polio and that was how it was, it was founded on the back of that and then they went on and did all this other wonderful stuff um, and my, my experience brought me into contact with them. So that's a very real one. And then I think education is really important. Um, mm-hmm. I, the, 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 without, sorry, I'm swallowing my tongue here. Without your health, you really don't have anything. So I think health is really important. And then the next mm-hmm. thing that we need is a, is a home, a roof over our heads. So I'm very involved in supporting homeless people, and I've just been elevated, if that's the word. I was a a board member, and they've now asked me to be patron of the the charity that I'm involved with, their church housing trust. And so so that's the homeless one. And then I think education is so important because... Without the education, you can't really go out and earn a living or fulfill the potential or any. You can't do anything, really. Um, so the education and, and of course, in, a, in the third world developing countries, if you educate one member of that family, you're lifting the whole lot of them above the, po- the poverty line because of the way their culture is. And. Right. I mean, in 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 our in the UK and in America, I still, you know, I know it's not the same need, but it is the same necessity. If you if you take the difference, that we do get the best education that we can. So I'm very keen on education, and that's what I was taking up to Africa and to India, and I'm hoping that I will be going out to. Nepal. I'm working with a Nepalese doctor, and his wow. his speciality is health. He wants to have um, the children, the street children, given medical help. Mm. And my thing is not only the the health aspect, but also the education. So it's a two pronged at- attack. When we actually get out there, he's going back to Nepal. I think next year. So I'm hoping that that's going to really lift off then. And then, wow. uh, and then my the environment is important, but animals. I mean, animals. It's our responsibility as humans to look after them, and so often we don't. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm very into animal welfare. So that that basically covers my spectrum of charities and how I choose them. Wow. Well, thank you. And I know it's just the thumbnail of all the things you do and thank you so much for doing your work and looking again from our own country I'm sure our countries are very different I I would imagine maybe you can enlighten me on that on how the homeless is taken care of within your country as it is in ours you know I I'm wanting to believe that we're going through a huge shift in consciousness and that a lot of the old that no longer works is going by the wayside. And But right now there's a lot of, we have so much homelessness and so much suffering and schools being triaged. And there's a lot of really wonderful things happening as well. I don't mean to sound depressing, but it's also and recognizing the reality of what's happening. Well, when I was little, we would just, it was, I was born in the 1940s, so we were coming out of the war, so I was very young, uh, I was about three years old in 1950, and all of the people had come back from the Second World War, and 
I was used to seeing people on crutches with no legs and swinging themselves forward. And I was the area that I was brought up in, it was multicultural before there was such a word. And there were a lot of people who were suffering as a result of the war. Next door to where we lived, there was a bomb site. There was a bomb site opposite us. And on the main road, there were two hostels, one for men and one for women, who were homeless. That's where, but they weren't allowed to, to stay there. They could only go in there at, I don't know, 6 o'clock at night, say. And they were kicked out at 6 o'clock in the morning, regardless of what the weather was doing or whether it was spring, summer, winter. It didn't matter. They were kicked out. And so I was brought up. They were around me, so I was aware of their situation. And I think that played a part in me wanting to be involved in, in doing something for the homeless. And I, wow. in all of the years that have gone by, though, I'm not sure that we've progressed much in society, but the homeless charity that I work with we have a very high standard where we provide accommodation um, in hostels, and we try and we have dry hostels uh, and clean hostels where they can't drink and they can't have drugs or anything like that. But there mm-hmm. are other people that need different assistance. But the point I was coming to, I think, was. It's still the people that have served up their country at the highest level that seem to come back from a war situation and slide down through the cracks if we're not yeah. careful. And it's a lot yeah. of those veterans that, that find themselves out on the street and have the mental mm-hmm. problems that go with it, that they can't hold down a job and they can't reintegrate with a family situation. We are getting a bit heavy here. <laughs> That's well, and you know, I I recognize that, and I and I also recognize that to pull to pull the wool off, so to speak, to talk about what is happening. I've been a lot of the work I do. I I do suicide prevention here on island. I live up on Whidbey Island, which is up in Washington, and you know, working with things that are very real, working with the veterans, working with homeless, and working with people who seemingly have lives that are all together. And I really feel and sense that it's important to be able to have candid conversations about real issues that are happening because part of what I've recognized as I've grown older is I have moved from my spiritual idealism, so to speak, to recognize that doing a spiritual bypass, not always being grounded in what is happening in the world or in my country, in my community, I'm not doing anything other than doing a spiritual bypass with everything's unfolding perfectly, which I understand and I get and I also recognize that it's important to talk about the real nitty-gritty that's happening in order for us to be able to serve those who have lost their voice or have lost their way. So for me, this conversation is, is very refreshing to be able to talk about something so openly. So thank you. Um, thank oh, you for it, talking about it. it. It's necessary. I agree with you. It's very necessary. And I, it just reminded me again, when I was out in India, you know, we get very used to Western ideals. And what I was coming across was as I left my very nice hotel to go and do my work for the day, you know, I was taken around by the different people that we were working with out in India to the various orphanages and colleges that we were supporting. And and that in itself was amazing. We didn't see any tourist parts at all. It was all very real. But I realized Mm -hmm. that I got used very quickly to the fact that the chap that, you know, I'd see him every morning as we left the hotel. That was his bed lying on the street opposite the hotel. That's where he lived. And Mm -hmm. all of these other people, you, 
you have to meet people where they are. We can't go out into the world and try and inflict our standards on them because it's a standard they couldn't reach. And it's the same Mm -hmm. with the animal welfare. When I've gone out to both India and Africa and I've looked at the way they, they cope with, let's say, the stray dogs, um, what we do in England, and I'm sure what happens in the States, couldn't possibly happen in, in Africa for, or either of the countries in reality. And in India, they go and collect the pie dogs off the streets and they neuter them. And then to make sure they know that the dog has been neutered and they don't pick them up again, they clip the ear and that's how they mm. recognize the dog being neutered. But the important thing is to take that dog back to the same place that they've taken it from, because otherwise it won't be able to refit into its society because there is a pecking order. If it went to the wrong street or the wrong whatever, it would be with a different set of, of dogs and they would attack it. I mean, wow. It's all so extraordinary to our Western eyes and ears, but when you're out mm-hmm. there... We have to actually accept the standard of the place that we're living in. We can't go out there and inflict our, I don't know, high-minded ideals on them. So as with all the experience you've had and your eyes wide open to what is happening um, as far as the homeless and animals, et cetera, how would you, how would you invite people who world may not at all be familiar with what you're talking about how because in some ways it feels like we almost need to open one's eyes to be able to see what's happening not to show the harshness of it rather to see the duality and the beauty of what we're seeing and knowing that that how we are and how we show up in the world makes such a difference did that make sense, oh, what I does. asked you? Yes, it does. And and I can tell you that, I mean, just going out to those countries and getting a hug from the children, the warmth of, of being welcomed and, and the love that pours out, they have no concept of their own uh, limited life because they don't see the life that we lead, if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes. With that? Yeah, and please, please say more about that. Um, well, I was leading from that. Um, hmm. I I had a thread I was going with, and then I suddenly thought it didn't make sense. Um, I think when people that are listening, they may think to themselves, well. I'm not likely to go to India or Africa or I'm not likely to do this or that. I didn't Mm -hmm. think I would be either. But what happened in my life drew me to those particular things and that's the ones I support. And when I'm working with clients, I don't inflict my ideals or ideas on them. We have to find what their passions are. Otherwise it doesn't work. So for everybody that I'm working with, when I'm trying to bring them round to the way of contribution to make that become a part of their life so that it's seamless without even thinking about it, Mm -hmm. um, I have to find what their passion is, what their values are. And then from that, everything else falls into place. It's once you understand your values and understand what's driving those values and and what's important, what gets you out of bed every morning. It's that Mm -hmm. kind of knowledge that will then get people to understand themselves. I would say I'm introducing my clients to themselves. And by by getting them to know themselves, um, they, they get to lead a much more satisfying life. And hopefully mm-hmm. from that also come things that they want to support so that it's their to choice. Rest, 
So rather than looking outside themselves, you actually looking outside themselves for ways to go or suggestions, it sounds more like you actually enter into their world to be able to help them discover through inquiry or whatever process you use for them to find what what lights them up or what their passions are and values and interests. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because otherwise they're not going to buy into it. As I say buy into it, I mean that it needs to be something that they really can take ownership of for themselves. It has to be so important to them that they almost couldn't Mm -hmm. breathe without Well, you know, when I look at... Um, as you were mentioning veterans, we have a huge, huge dilemma with veterans here. And there's a beautiful term that history repeats itself unless there's resolution. And back in World War II, when our many of our veterans came home from the war, many didn't get their benefits. And so the history repeats itself. They're often yeah. not acknowledged and don't know how to re-enter, et cetera. And it's fascinating to know that we within our culture here walk around and see so much of that. There, wherever I've noticed, no matter where, I live on a small island and there's homelessness here on island or going to the mainland, there's homelessness in the bigger cities and there's the veterans who are struggling and, it's I don't know if it's it's a way of survival to close one's eyes to all that's out there or how folks can learn to recognize the deep interconnectedness to know that perhaps a smile or you know sitting next to them or something will help shift the trajectory rather than not knowing what to do um it's an interesting well, phenomenon. I think for me, um, there but for the grace of God go any one of us. You know, it's, it's a very short step from being on top of the world to losing everything and, and ending up homeless. It, I right. mean, that sounds very dramatic, but, but it is a oh, very it's true. small step. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take many interruptions in people's lives. Um, You know, returning from the war, for example, trying to fit in back into a family life, not being able to make it, the mental um, strain that the war has inflicted on you. And then you lose your marriage, then you lose your house, you can't hold a job. The whole thing can spiral very, very quickly. And I really believe there, but for the grace of God, go any one of us. So with that thought in in our hearts, maybe, uh, it, it might be easier. I, I think a lot of people are frightened. I don't know whether they recognize that it, it could be any one of us and that there mm-hmm. is that fear. Or they're frightened because they don't quite know what to say or how to how to react. And that maybe they think that people are, will want to take more than they're able to give. Right. And I think the interesting thing, there was a lovely guy, I used to see him regularly when I traveled up to London. He had a dog and he was at Waterloo Station, that was the train station in London. And he was homeless and he had his dog with him. And mm. people... He was always there, you know. He was only a young man. He was in his 20s, I would say. And obviously life had beaten him down in the wrong direction. But, you know, to to give him something for his dog almost, you're not then enabling him. By giving money, sometimes you can enable them to go off and continue in their bad habits. Whereas if you give them something practical, like a cup of coffee or something for their dog in his instance, um, it's more helpful. And actually just stopping by and listening to them, again, is, is probably more helpful than anything. Right. If people wow. will take the time. If people will take the time. Yeah, there's there's so much rush, rush. It's, it's, really, it's really interesting. Um, 
and things do come to a standstill and it can happen within it can happen instantaneous which is yeah. really amazing which brings me to of course the the chapter in the life sparks book your chapter is entitled no more excuses open your doors of discovery is is this can you tell me how you came to the title of your chapter, I, I imagine it's about your volunteer work with charities. But how is it that you that you came to that title? Well, I'm sure you know that we have the most amazing editor in Judy. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd written out my story, and she very gently nursed me through a couple of edition, you know, edits with it. Absolutely wonderful. I've not worked with an editor before like that. And I just adored the way she worked and, and we clicked. And I'd come up, that wasn't my original title. I'd come up with something a lot more um, ephemeral. You know, not. it doesn't really mean anything. I get It did to me, but you had to be inside my head to understand where it was going, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Shot her through a couple of ideas over my way and let me think about them. And suddenly, that one, because you know, it is just a question of opening a door to walk through it. The doors Mm -hmm. that opened to me as a result of doing my charity work have been remarkable. I didn't set out to think that I was going to get an invitation to go inside number 10 Downing Street, which is the Prime Minister's home or residence or the Chancellor of the Exchequer's residence, or the Queen's residence, Buckingham Palace, or the Mansion House, which is where another of our esteemed um, people, the Lord Mayor of London, live. And I talk about him in in the book. I work for four of those voluntarily. Um, Mm. And all the different people that I met. You know, when I started rattling a tin on the street corner, that was the last thing on my mind. So, you know, by helping others, opening doors, for yourself, you're, you know, by trying to do things and contribute, it's just remarkable how many doors open for you. And that's really yeah. what Judy made me aware of. And that's where the title came from. A bit long-winded, uh-huh. but, you know, that's where it oh, came from. Oh, it's a beautiful. Well, and it's, it's so expansive. When I, when I just read the title, No More Excuses, Open Your Doors of Discovery, that in and of itself, just being with those words, can take one into an arena of infinite possibilities because I, I really feel that during this time, especially not to say that other times in the past have not been pivotal, it feels like there's such a sense of urgency right now to put down yeah. the excuses and to open the doors and to be of service to those who they're not them out there. They're another us out there. And I I think of my children, you know, and I I also recognize at least here in the States, and I don't know if it's been global with how volunteerism was so popular back in the 50s and then the 60s, 70s, going more into psychological and losing some of the volunteerism. It's just fascinating to watch where volunteerism has ebbed and flowed throughout our culture and didn't know if you've noticed that within the cultures that you've worked with or would you like to speak a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, what I've ne- when I was when my daughter was at school, the mothers didn't work. We were all stay-at-home moms, and then when she went off to boarding school, a couple of years later, they invited me to be a governor of the school. And in that short space of time, I when I came back, it was literally only two or three years. And I came back as a governor. A lot of the mothers were working, and that really mm. surprised. And suddenly, and that is the norm now. I mean, if there was one mother working when I was a young mum, that that was extraordinary. Whereas now, if a mother isn't working, 
that is extraordinary. And I think mm. the problem for charities is because everybody is so geared up financially. Everything mm-hmm. is such an expensive just to live is, is such an expense these days that two incomes are required. And therefore there aren't the same there aren't the same number of hours available for the people who would have volunteered to volunteer. And mm. I think the interesting thing that's happening over here is that we're getting to see companies take on a, a citizen's responsibility. I, they, they've got a, a fancy term for it, and I can't remember what that is. But Personhood? It, it, <laughs> no, it's not that, but that would work. <laughs> no, it's a citizen something or other. And mm. it, it is the company, the banks, particularly the banks, they are very keen to see and to be seen to be giving back to the community. And that is now how people are channeling their energies into into giving to the charities that they want to support. And in a, in one sense, it's good, but in another, it's taking away the individual choice from people. Because if, if they're working for a company and that company doesn't choose to support animal welfare, and that's the charity they wish to support, um, then, you know... If they're if they're asked to be seconded to a com- to a charity to work for them, or if they're invited to go and do something in a charity, it may not be the charity of their choice. That's that's what I was trying to say. Uh, so choice is being taken away from it. I don't know mm-hmm. what's it like in the states. Well, a lot of again, a lot of volunteerism, at least from the perspective I have seem to be around the same issues that you're describing. I think about kids in school and families who, both families, if there's a mother, father, or if there's a couple, both of them have to work. So then time in a child's classroom is limited. And more children being in daycare at an earlier age, which brings up the phenomena of attachment issues. And so, you know, across the board, it feels like in some ways it's the frame of, of a culture that in how does a parent parent anymore and how does, how do kids um, give back? I know having children who are two sons that are in their twenties, much of the population of their age because the world now is the internet, the world is is at their fingertips. I've heard and read and also talking to my children and, and their friends that the opportunities for them to be of service is so broad out in the world, you know, be it going and working at a farm and having yeah. housing and room and board and being of service. And, you know, I, I'm wondering if we're tipping if the tipping point is happening so that that more of our youth are looking to the greening of themselves and the greening of the world um, and getting yeah. renatured um, after feeling so denatured. So it's, Absolutely. yeah. It's, I had one client, she was a wonderful woman, Hansi her name, and she was Nigerian. And mm. she was she came to me because she wanted to do uh, children's parties and she built up a, a, a sort of group of characters that she was going to use and the characters were all named after vegetables and, and <laughs> I think the grandpa was a grumpy beetroot, I don't know but I mean all sorts of things and what she was trying to do was re-educate children to the importance of eating good quality food and natural food and vegetables and and anyway by the time we'd worked together and, and she'd done her stretch with me if you, you know, suppose she was in prison. I promise it was more fun than that. Um, (laughs) Instead of doing the children's parties, she had worked out that she was going to actually do a theme park and it was going to be based along the lines of what happens in Florida. And she was checking out rides and, I mean, really amazing stuff. She was getting uh, things 
um, sourced from China. She knew exactly where she was going to get what she needed. And she got a a plot of land given to her by the Nigerian government. And this was going to be what she was going to do. And instead of doing children's parties, she would have this whole park and they would come and they would have rides and all sorts of things. But they'd also come and spend some time there to be re-educated in country ways, in animal husbandry and in Mm. farming husbandry. And it was just amazing. And included in that, she was going to get street children to come along too. Um, provided they, you know, safely, safely, it had to be done with due consideration. And uh, it was just remarkable. All of that grew out of just us working together and wow. uh, her idea of doing children's parties. It was amazing. Wow. Well, with as our time, as our time is beginning to come to a, a bittersweet close, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I wondered Thank for you folks, so much, Catherine. For folks who are interested in pursuing doing more charity work or pursuing volunteering, um, looking looking into different areas of their life, just like the example that you gave, can you give any touch points as far as how people can start and what to look for, et cetera? Well, I think, as I said earlier, to, to look back inside themselves, to work mm-hmm. out what their own real values are, what it is that's important to them, um, and to make sure that it's a real one, not just a, a, a pretend one. I mean, the father that leaves home at 5 o'clock in the morning to go and earn hundreds of thousands of pounds a year so that he can privately educate his child and have the most wonderful house and the most beautiful cars and the wonderful holidays, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then finds that his marriage is falling apart because he's never, fall, you know, spending any time with the family. That his values, are, he's thinking he's doing the best he can, but is he really? It's mm-hmm. things questioning what's really, really important to you. And then from that, expanding on the thinking and to see what your where your interest takes you mm. I, I think that may be helpful i don't know does that sound as though it's a it's a good starting point for people it does sound like a good starting point and it, it made me think about it, especially you know financially when there's been a bit of a collapse it's from from the perspective i've gleaned over the years it's almost as if, again, in the United States, because that's the only culture that I can, with any bit of accuracy, and it may even be inaccurate, um, with how many folks looked outside themselves for excitement, looked outside themselves for value, looked outside themselves for health and insurance, et cetera. And because of the, the collapsing in many different industries from medical to financial, that has in some ways been ripped away from folks so that they've gone to their proverbial knees almost as if there's assumed helplessness with not knowing how to get back up again, not knowing how to, to look within themselves. And I recognize it's a blanket statement and I apologize for having such a broad statement, but it's in, in ways it's like we're all being given the opportunity if relationships collapse or jobs fall apart or the 501k is no longer there, how does one really look inside themselves and see how can we come together within ourselves to create a more sustainable world, including community and reconnecting to mother and all the resources that are at our fingertips. So, it's happening, it feels yeah. like, whether or not people know how to access that wisdom that may have been asleep for a while it seems to be the challenge um, and that I many think are one, facing. One, one person I met, and I remember him so incredibly well, he was actually in a wheelchair, but I completely forget that because when I think of him, I think of him as commanding the entire room. And he had become a quadriplegic because he went up the mountainside to climb um, Snowdon, Mount Snowdon in Wales. 
and he he just left it too late in the day. They'd been out on the toot the night before, so they were late getting up. So they went up the mountain when they didn't have enough time really to do it and get back down safely. They, because they were late, the, the mist came down, and the mist came down so they couldn't see where they were going so clearly, and he missed his footing. And he went from being this amazingly energetic and vital man into not being able to move at all. And he obviously went through this bleakness, but once he came to terms with that, I think give yourself time, but at the same time know that there is light at the end of the time because he was so inspirational. He said, you know, he had to realize that he had decided. He, there was no point in saying he wished he'd done this or that. The reality was he was where he was. And it's when you can get to that point that I think you know you're ready to start looking forward. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And it, it feels that it also there could be the spiritual deprivation. I'm not speaking religious connotation, but the more of the spiritual universal truths that something so much yeah. bigger than us is unfolding and how do we remember ourselves that we are just not merely doing but we're also here to experience the divine um, as, as well as being in our physical body and um, especially now how do we practice any sort of spiritual awareness and recognize yeah. that nothing has been punishment um, with us. Is there anything that you would like to close with, Susie? It's been just, again, such an honor and pleasure to be with you. I, I would just like to thank you, Catherine. It's been my absolute honor to be part of your program and to reach out to your, to your listeners. And I'm grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you, and I hope that you'll be able to settle down and get some rest. I don't know if you've had <laughs> lots of coffee or if, you're, if you can just I'm hang up. And, up I'm not ready to sleep at all now. <laughs> well, I hope that you can watch a beautiful sunrise. <laughs> and yeah. Well, I look, forward, I look forward to the possibility of meeting you and just really looking forward That's to reading wonderful. the chapter in your book and um, thank you again for blessing our show for being on it. It's been a real honor. Thank you so much. My thank pleasure you. entirely. God bless. Thank Bye-bye. you. God bless you. Bye. And thank you everyone for listening in. My name is Catherine Van Wetter and if you missed today's show, you can go to www.blogtalk forward slash authenticmessengers.com and tomorrow or next week, next Tuesday, Um, July 26th, which is amazing. Again, the months just seem to be flying by. I will be interviewing Nate Roberts, who is the owner of Nocturnal Energy, a company that specializes in digital advertising strategies. His expertise is helping business owners plug in and power up for massive online exposure for their products and services. Nate invites others to contact him saying, I am always looking for the right connections, relationships, business opportunities, and partnership prospects. Let's connect. So please, again, join us next week if you were not able to listen to this um, talk today and or have missed other shows. You, again, can go to www.blogtalk forward slash AuthenticMessengers.com and look at our archive shows. And if you're interested in perhaps being a co-author for another Spark Series book, you can go to AuthenticMessengers.com for more information. Be gentle with yourselves, be kind, and know that you are the change. Take good care. Blessings.
Are you there, Catherine? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.